This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. If you're looking for something to do this Sunday morning, or indeed today, tomorrow, Saturday, um, I would recommend getting along to uh, Not Fair, which is uh, one of several art fairs that's on in Melbourne at the moment. It's a curious thing that even though it was in February this year that the Melbourne Art Foundation announced that Melbourne Art Fair 2016 had been cancelled, nonetheless, uh, the what were once satellite events and have now become kind of uh, bodies of their own orbiting one another rather than orbiting the art fair uh, continue. Uh, so on the show last week, we heard about spring 1883 on at the Windsor Hotel. Now we're going to talk about Not Fair, uh, which is an art fair that focuses on unrepresented artists rather than the artists represented by galleries who are the focus of uh, other art fairs. Joining me in the studio to tell us more, Gina Lee, the CEO of the Not Fair Art Foundation. Gina, good morning. Good morning, Richard. So does it feel odd to be you know, running a satellite event without the main body or is it uh, empowering to say, well, we're actually a real solid uh, art fair in our own right. Yeah, I think it's come at a really good time for us, actually, because this is the fourth iteration of Not Fair. And because of that, we sort of feel we've matured a little bit. Um, and every every Not Fair is different in any case. I mean, it's always held in a different location. Um, so this time we've uh, you know, we've got a great location at 524 Flinders Street. It's it's sort of gallery-like, but still has the right amount of grunge to it. So, you know, we think we've, we've hit, hit, hit it at a, good, at a good time. And yeah, we feel like we've grown up a bit and here we are. And um, we're, we're very much part of the the Melbourne Art Week as it stands, with all the other all the other uh, fairs happening. Now, uh, Not Fair has been described as the antithesis of art fairs uh, in some ways, which uh, are very much focused on top end collectors and and yep. uh, the the big name artists represented by uh, uh, the serried ranks of private galleries. So, how does an organisation like the Not Fair Art Foundation find these unrepresented artists whose work is the focus of Not Fair. Yeah, well, very much we've, we've, we're about the artists. We're very much an artist-led sort of uh, organisation from that point of view. Uh, we appointed Kirsten Ran as our curator this year. So Kirsten has been uh, working frantically and very tirelessly to find 25 amazing artists from around Australia. Uh, we have artists from Queensland, Western Australia, New South Wales, and, and obviously quite a few from Victoria as well. And, um, yeah, there, there's... Uh, it's done through what we call the Brains Trust. So rather than have an open call for artists, which I think would be sort of a little chaotic. It could uh, get a bit terrifying. <laughs> I can imagine the sheer number of yeah. applications you'd be waiting through. Yeah, so we, we use our Brains Trust. So we, we put the call out to uh, to people who we know know uh, artists who are in, in that area, emerging artists, um, unrepresented artists, independent artists, artists doing really interesting things. And um, we, we examine sort of yeah, what they're doing and, and how they fit into the sort of the theme that develops, um, that's developed by the curator. So Kirsten this year has uh, developed the theme Sign of the Times. So which automatically says this is going to be very much focused on contemporary undercurrents and expressions within the, the visual arts sector. What are some of those undercurrents that have come to the surface? Well, certainly it's a, it's, it's a lot of social commentary. That, that's the whole thing. It's, she wants to really make this about the now, the right now, sign of the times, what's happening. So we have artists who are dealing with, uh, you know, the, the current contemporary issues, global warming, certainly, um, the extinction of, uh, of, 
races, uh, genus of animals. Um, that's that's just a fascinating uh, video piece by Debbie Simons. Uh, we've also got uh, people who are looking at uh, uncertainty, the edge of uncertainty uh, with, with Mia, Mia Salcho, uh looking at political climates and, and how that changes uh, people's perceptions of, of what's happening. So really there's there's a lot there's a lot uh, of commentary that's being made through through the work and Kirsten's done an amazing job of putting these these artists together. Now one of the things that fascinates me about any art fair is the opportunity to see artists whose work I'm completely unfamiliar with. Yes you'll always see work by local artists you may know or some of the the national names but to come along and see new works by artists particularly from outside Melbourne and outside Victoria is to me one of the the most exciting aspects of any Mm. art fair. So who are some of the interstate artists who were represented at Sign of the Times, uh, Not Fair 2016. Yeah, we've got a, a guy called Michael Candy. His work is absolutely fascinating. Um, he's uh, developed, a, it's a very technologically based piece and um, what he's done, he hooks up a, uh, a, a head to a transformer which is in turn uh, attached to uh, an app that every time a bomb goes off in Syria, it makes his little head cry. I mean, it's it's just such a powerful, powerful piece. Uh, he developed this while he was in Paris uh, during uh, so, d- during some uh, events that were happening there. And um, yeah, this is just a, a such a strong, strong piece. And it has actually been acquired uh, locally by by a collector. So we're delighted that that will actually get an airing again in an exhibition uh, next year. It's, it sounds like a, an almost traumatic piece for the viewer because to to have a visual representation of the chaos and the violence that is happening. So it's it, it can be troublesome enough to look at one of those interactive uh, online maps, for example, yes, that, that, yes. that tracks explosions or something, but to see something weeping to see something in response. Weeping. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, is, it, is, oh. it is truly amazing. So that's that's a very interesting piece by, by Michael, um, who... who um, yeah, classes himself as nomadic, actually. So that's a <laughs> so he's from everywhere. <laughs> oh, half his luck, I have to mm. say. What about some of the other pieces that speak to you directly, for example, that really resonate with you? Ah, uh, with me, um, I'm really like uh, Jason Wing's work as well. Uh, the Australian Government Initiative, which is a series of uh, digital posters he's made, um, they're actually uh, being. Uh, sold as a special not, not fair edition set um, and that's just a really strong statement looking at sort of the, the government initiative in relation to Indigenous uh, people. Um, there's one, uh, there's self-portraits, uh, one of him marked as alcoholic, the other as criminal. Um, so I think, I think that's a very, very strong statement to be making um, by an artist. And there's what, 25 artists in total in the program? 25 or? artists in total. Um, another of my favourites is actually by the Ryan sisters. Um, very topical uh, for for people in the arts, uh, the the title of their work is "We'd Give Our Right Arms for an Art Grant," and they literally have given their right arms. There's there's two replicas of their right arms sitting in a box, um, which I think just needs to be packed up and sent to a, a suitable arts organisation. Oh, <laughs> I can think of a senator who uh, we yes. could we could perhaps post it to. Yes. Um, in terms of pulling together a work like this. Obviously, there are so many... I've mentioned that the idea of undercurrents mm. in, in culture and society. Mm. The title, however, is not an undercurrent, Sign of the Times. It's uh, given that it features the, the peace sign mm-hmm. and it's a reference to prints. So it, it's very directly referencing uh, some major events that have happened. So I love the way that it straddles both 
um, subculture and dominant culture and brings them together in the one exhibition space. Mm. Like I, th- I think uh, people who came to the opening, and there were quite a few of them um, on Tuesday night, they were just, yeah, really impressed with the, the breadth of work that, that we'd managed to gather, I guess. Um, and, you know, we've got we've got some people doing some very local, sort of looking at some local issues as well, like uh, Lillian um, Addy, she's doing some paintings about, about Melbourne, basically, you know, so that's that's her looking at the issues that are happening with development and and, and, and uh, environment and, and in, in Melbourne. Um, and yet we've got uh, another guy from Western Australia, Jeff um, Overhoy, who's uh, produced the most amazing sculpture um, work using netting and acrylic paint and uh, he actually produces this amazing sort of relief work that looks like you're just flying over uh, a landscape and again looking at the issues of uh, climate and soil degradation and th- those kind of issues in, in relation to, to the landscape. I also love the fact that people can go to Not Fair, Sign of the Times, uh, which is located at 524 Flinders Street, Melbourne and is on until uh, this weekend till the 21st so you can go to that and then you can stroll around to uh you can stroll up to the windsor for example and uh, have a look at the work that's on up there uh and there's also there's a cluster of galleries in flinders lane who've got their own little mini art fair on at the moment i think flair flair are doing great things in fact we're we're actually running some art tours starting out of uh out of not fair which we're really excited about um and uh we've got six tours they start friday uh some street art tours a twilight tour um, some tours taking in the east side, which includes the Flair Galleries, uh, the Flinders Lane Gallery, who are doing a Fuse program. Um, and we've got some um, other tours going off to the west side, which includes the 602 space and also the, the And Fair, which is a sculptural um, fair that's just popped up as well, literally popped up. Um, so there's there's a lot on it. We're trying to sort of be as collaborative as possible as, uh, you know, to get people out there looking at all these things that they might not know about. Yeah, well, it's art as a bridge and uh, mm. the thing about point about bridges is you cross them. So hopefully it means that people will come across lots of unique events and amazing art and artworks if they come along to Not Fair Sign of the Times, as we said, on until the 21st yes. at 524 Flinders Street in Melbourne. More info at www.notfair.com.au. And those Friday tours sound like a great initiative so you can get out and about and see all the other art fairs that have popped up around Melbourne this week. Yep. And of course, you can book on our website. Thanks. So notfair.com.au. Get along and do book something. We've been chatting with Gina Lee, the CEO of the Not Fair Art Foundation. Gina, thanks for coming in. Great pleasure. Thank you for having me. We're going to hear a track now appropriately called Paper and Ink by Charm of Finches. Staring out the window, the rain falls swiftly down. Drop slide down the window. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. A lot of the work I talk about is clustered in and around the CBD and the inner city, which if you live in the Yarra Valley may mean that you have to make the decision between, I don't know, driving an hour, an hour and a half to see a work and then driving home again. 
or missing out, which makes uh, me very happy that a new theatre company, Red Fox 3, uh, has been established to present Melbourne, uh, present works in the Melbourne metropolitan regional areas established in the Yarra Valley. And so performing works coming up in Warburton at the Upper Yarra Arts Centre and at the Memo in Healesville. I'm joined on the line by Justin Stevens, who's uh, directing Red Fox 3's production of The Woman in Black. Justin, good morning. Oh, good morning, Richard. Good to be with you. So, how important is it for you to be involved with a theatre company that is presenting work outside of the the inner city of Melbourne to people who are living out in the the, the fringes of the city in regional Victoria and elsewhere? Yeah, look, I think as you mentioned, it's really important that people in the Yarra Valley get to experience really good quality theatre. Um, there's some amazing venues out here. The memos mentioned in the Arts Centre. Yeah, they're fantastic venues. And they do get shows that come in uh, from that are touring around Australia. And, uh, and they're great too. But I guess the difference here is that we're creating a show that's produced locally. Um, we're based in the Yarra Valley and we're, you know, intending in the future to use as much of the local talent and there's so much talent out here as well. Um, so that, you know, the Yarra Valley can be proud of, you know, something that they, they feel like they own and they're part of. And so the production that you're presenting is The Woman in Black, which, uh, is a, a rather popular and rather chilling ghost story, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Well, it is, it is very popular and, uh, it's, it's always surprising to me how many people have not heard of the play version. Um, some people may be very familiar with the book, or certainly very, very familiar with the film that came out uh, not too long ago with Daniel Radcliffe in the film. Um, it's been made into many films and, uh, you know, TV shows, etc. over the years. And uh, But in the UK, it's one of the most watched plays. Uh, I think it's like the second most longest-running play after Mousetrap. And it's been playing for something like 27, 28 years at the Fortune Theatre. And it's been played all around the world. And I think one of the most enduring qualities of the production is its ability to just thrill an audience live right in front of you, which is, you know, always a challenge. Um, and I imagine perhaps particularly a challenge for an independent theatre company, given the, the stagecraft involved. You don't have the, the lavish budget of uh, an East End production or a, uh, or a Sydney theatre company production, for example. So is, is it difficult no. to create the, the illusion and the, the suspense on stage with limited resources? Well, yes and no. This is a, uh, you're quite right. I mean, you know, we'd love to have, uh, you know, a substantial budget, but uh, it is amazing what you can come up with to, uh, you know, to make up for the lack of, uh, you know, that, that sort of injection of cash. Uh, the show itself is set in a theatre and, and it's stripped back. It's meant to look like an empty theatre with minimal props, minimal objects, and the actors, you know, use costumes that are actually on stage in front of the audience and uh, so you don't see uh, crew changing scenes or anything like that and that's actually the the great trick of the show the the author of the the play he was asked uh, Stephen Malatrat he was commissioned to write the play uh, on the cheap and there was a gap in the schedule uh, at the Scarborough Theatre and he was asked you know just just write a play with only four actors in it and keep it cheap and simple well he only created a play with two actors and uh it's a very 
very efficient production. Uh, most of the production actually exists in the audience's imagination. And that's the great trick of it, that you can go into a theatre, just be taken away and uh, and feel like, well, it was all, uh, you know, the work of the actors and they do put a lot of work, but so much of it is in the audience's mind. As with uh, perhaps all great art, it's what the audience bring to it, uh, that power of the imagination to, to try and, whether it's a, a puppet show in which you go, no, that's not a man holding a, a sock, that's something imbued with personality and life, that the, the way that our imagine, imagination helps us transform uh, the ordinary into the extra, extraordinary is a great part of art. But I imagine uh, it's also still nonetheless a challenge to create a mood of mystery and supernatural fear and suspense on stage. So for you as director, tell us about the challenges of ensuring that the that kind of dramatic tension is kept tight. Yeah, look, we it is, it is quite uh, challenging. The, the last thing you want is someone to come to the theatre with their arms crossed going, well, you know, you've got to scare me, um, go on, and, and then see, see the magic or see through a trick. And so we work very hard on perfecting uh, some of the key sequences. Uh, we want the effect, the overall effect is right at the end of the show, if it's even possible to achieve, is for the audience to walk away thinking, well, hang on, maybe I, maybe I did see a ghost, you know, actually question that in their own mind. So what we've done is we've actually, uh, rather than employ a whole bunch of modern trickery, we've actually gone back and used some old theatrical techniques and some of the old methods are the best methods. And, um, and, and, and it, there's a familiarity to them, there's a comfort to those. Uh, and the audience sort of gets pulled along into that journey. Um, and the other key element is the storytelling of the actors. The two actors, they just have to be riveting in their storytelling capability. And that, and that, um, as you'll know, is, you know, at the heart of any good story is the ability of the storyteller to, to convey that message. So you can have just an actor with virtually nothing around them. No tricks, just a simple light. And if they can hold you with their storytelling capability, it, it can just transport you to, you know, other worlds. So that's, that's at the heart of the show. The show we're talking about is The Woman in Black, and I'm half expecting audiences to come out going, it was all done with smoke and mirrors, uh, if, uh, which is the first thing that, that springs to mind for me when we're talking about perhaps classic old stage effects to, uh, to evoke the supernatural. Um, <laughs> we're talking to director Justin Stevens. Justin, this is being presented by Red Fox 3 Theatre Company, and as we've said, uh, performances at the Upper Yarra Art Centre in Warburton on the 20th and 21st of August, uh, and then the memo in Healesville on the 27th of August and the 4th of September. What next for the company? Well, it's a very good question. So working on a, a couple of shows uh, in the background, um, just uh, just uh, not, not in the position to reveal that just yet, but uh, next year is going to be quite exciting for Red Fox 3 and uh, hopefully the Arrow Valley too. And will you be expanding operations beyond the Yarra Valley to other parts of regional Victoria and other metropolitan fringes, or is the Yarra Valley very much the focus for the company at the moment? Uh, look, just initially, but, uh, you know, you've hit the nail on the head there because uh, what what we intend to do with the company is to, you know, take some of the shows that are developed in the Yarra Valley and then just bring them back into the CBD or take them to other parts of the country or regional Victoria and, um, you know, what a great thing that would be to be able to create something here 
it's sort of homegrown in the valley and then take it elsewhere rather than the other way around. So that would be um, that would be absolutely fantastic, and that's certainly the goal. Fantastic. Well, best of luck with that. Uh, we've been talking to Justin Stevens, the director of The Woman in Black, uh, presented by Red Fox 3 Theatre Company. Uh, for full details, as I said, performances in Warburton and Hillsville. Uh, for uh, full booking details and dates, go to Red Fox, then the numeral 3, redfox3.com.au to find out what's on with the production. Uh, and you can, uh, uh, or you can email boxoffice at yarrarangers.vic.gov.au if you'd like to book as well, or you can even do it the uh, the other way with the telephone one three hundred three six eight triple three. Justin, thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks, Richard. Have a great day. Bye bye. This is a podcast from Three Triple R one hundred two point seven FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. company who have had plenty of good luck and uh, not just good luck though but I suspect good management uh, as well uh, are the Brisbane based company Circa who seem to be one of the busiest performing arts companies in Australia they're constantly presenting work in Australia and internationally currently a work by Circa which premiered at the Brisbane Festival last year around this time last year actually um, almost not about 11 months ago shall we say uh, it's a production called Il Retorno and is currently performing at Art Centre Melbourne. Uh, the artistic director of Circa joins us in the studio to talk to us about the work. You're on Lifshitz. Welcome. Thank you. So this is a wor- an unusual work on a number of levels, I guess, because it's a few to begin with. It's a fusion of opera and circus, two art forms which don't necessarily sound like they should go hand in hand, but in this production do blend together beautifully. Why put these two different art forms together into one work? Uh, I think it's masochism, essentially. Um, look, it was I, I, I love both art forms in very different ways, and I work spend my life working in circus, so I, I was fascinated to see what they might do together. And I wanted to get beyond the simply illustrative and... So we were, I got really interested in, in Monteverdi and in, in the Il Ritorno di St. Patria, the return of Ulysses to the, the homeland. And the story, the idea, connecting with this idea of, of the refugees, the displaced people of, of, of the, the world and, and stories that they told and, and sort of these all kind of fell into some great, great kind of heap in the imagination and, and produced Il Ritorno. Um, they're difficult medium. They're both really challenging. I mean, you know, circle, there's a lot of circus that purports to be about something and really we're doing tricks. Um, we're, you know, using skills and, and abilities. And there's a lot of opera that, um, frankly, is very operatic and a lot of people don't particularly like that. Uh, so to have the chance to get them to wrestle with each other and grapple and try and fuse is a kind of really special thing. Now, one of the things that fascinates me about the work, and I'm in the lucky position that I saw the original uh, season in Brisbane in September last year at the Brisbane Powerhouse, and I should acknowledge the Brisbane Festival co-commissioned the work along with a a group of European partners. Um, And so I saw it there, and then I saw it again at... uh, 
at Arts Centre Melbourne last night. And one of the things that fascinates me is that I love circus as an art form and opera I've often found dense and I'm told it's supposed to be all about grand emotion and I've never felt that yeah. that emotion <laughs> when I see uh, uh, a lot of opera. Whereas uh, with Il Ritorno, I, I find it very, very moving. Mm. And I think that's perhaps the 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 way that the movement conveys the emotion of the music in a way that opera by itself perhaps hasn't done for me previously look i mean i think even peter brook who's directed you know many operas and very many of them very very well uh says you know talks about it as the 40-year battle that he's had with this art form and it's not a simple art form and and, you know going into the kind of the euro trash production where you put the thing in the glass box and there's a everyone's in a perspex box and there's a diva singing to it on a chaise lounge and singing to a broken light bulb that sort of you know that thing just really dresses up it's like a it's a stinky dead fish with lots of nice garnish it's not actually getting to the point of how do you make the the gift of someone singing to you using their voice to convey some kind of emotion which should be a really pure and essential moment of connection but seldom is because the problem with opera like the problem with circus is that opera is full of operaness and circus is full of circus and neither of them are very helpful um they are kind of like you know, I, I'm old enough to remember the Sistine Chapel before it was restored. And it was like, yeah, it had all this romantic suit on it, but you couldn't actually see the painting. All you just saw was darkness. When I went back many years later after the restoration, there were these bright colours and this gleaming detail. And it was kind of extraordinary. And I think a part of our job at Circa is to sort of strip away the layers of accrete, the accreted suit and... Um, performance practice that aren't helpful. I mean, a lot of it, there's a huge amount of extraordinary research and technology and, and innovation that's there, but there's also a lot of people who just do things because that's the way you do them. That doesn't interest me, and it doesn't interest me in opera either. To get to the emotional core, you've got to figure out what the emotional core is, and then you just got to keep picking at it like a scab until it starts to bleed. And one of the things that's been really intriguing for me to watch with the, the number of circuit productions that I've seen over the last 15 years or so, I think I've first saw the company at the malt house mm-hmm. kind of uh years ago when um uh Stephen and michael were still there mm-hmm. um is the the way that the company has found a uh, a middle point between circus and dance for example and one of the things that uh troubles me with contemporary circus is that there is still often and we are moving away from i'm seeing a lot of younger companies moving away from this but um what's been described to me as the 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 tada moment they're going to we perform a a trick we strike a pose we wait for the applause then we move on to the next trick Mm. so it becomes episodic and it becomes focused as an art form on entertainment rather than a, a deep art form and it was interesting last night watching Il Ritorno. There were people in the audience who were clearly so used to circus that they just wanted to applaud each trick yeah, rather we, than letting the whole kind of unfold. Yeah, I mean, we, we'll, I'll talk about that in notes tonight with the company. We consider any time that an audience applauds and we don't want them to, it's a failure. Um, and it's a failure. So uh, last night we had a clappy audience um, and... We didn't control them anywhere near as well as we could. That was partly because we have 
fabulous conductor, Natalie Mary Beale, who's come over from the UK, but she's not used to, you know, battling the audiences. And, you know, years ago when we did The Space Between, I used to, there was one particular scene that I really hated the audience applauding, and I had this kind of noise track that I was mixing with another track. And the more they applaud, applauded, the more I'd turn up this kind of horrible wall of kind of grungy noise to kind of hurt their ears till they stopped applauding. I think it's... Um, but it is part of our dramaturgy. I mean, I mean, we want it to be... It's like... If you think about applause, and if I hope I can say this on air, like an orgasm, then what we want is lots and lots of foreplay. And at the end of the, the version, a slightly different version of the show that we did at the Barbican, for instance, not one moment of applause through the end. As soon as that final um, blackout went, there was... A roar, yeah. There was an absolute roar. Whereas, if you spend every en- every bit of energy and you kind of blow every kind of five minute scene or two or three times in a scene, it's very hard to get that kind of pent up tension and feeling. And that's what we actually want because that's the essence of all of our drama. So it's not unuseful the fact that people want to clap those tada moments, but that's our job to control them. Yeah, it's a, it's a, an interesting way to approach the art form because you not only then have to perhaps retrain some of the artists, but you have to retrain the audience and the audience perception as well. And contemporary circus is really only around 40 years old as an art form, but within that time it's become codified and the audience responds to it as well. So what circa are doing is not just evolving the art form, but evolving the audience simultaneously. Absolutely. And we're also trying to fight those very same cliches. I mean, there's something about circus that continually surprises me, which is it's the mixture of it being both a very young and vibrant and kind of amazing art form where you could do it whatever you like in some ways with a, this kind of very conservative, it keeps everything you do kind of hardens and very quick, kind of dries very quickly. So you almost become we, we, we have to work very hard not to become kind of cliches of our own work and we see a number of companies doing work that's really circus work or circus style and we're like it's fabulous I mean it's flattering but it's like please find your own vision and voice and hope this is an important step on your in your way but there is something in the art form where it hardens quickly so we we have to keep breaking that and that's how that's kind of our mission is to is to create the future of circus. I, somebody once dis, uh, somebody this is going back perhaps about six or seven years ago. They said the problem with circus is that they're too dance for the circus crowd and not dance enough for the dance crowd. Absolutely, and we're too posh. We're too posh for the circus. Too circus for the posh. We're too Australian for the internationals. Too international for this round. We laid up with the constituency of about ten people in Brisbane and. <laughs> And I quite like that. I mean, I, I like the fact that we, we're unapologetically singular, even though we do a really large range of productions. And I mean, you know, we've just had a, we had a review this morning from a production we've got running in Edinburgh that was like, great production, a little bit mainstream for the fringe, you know, like, but you know, there's a place for that. And you think, well, that's true. It is. I mean, my personal tastes veer towards the, the arcane and the esoteric and the really harsh, but, Somebody, some presenter in the world somewhere wants to sell some tickets. Uh, something like you know, we're talking at the outset, a very brave piece of programming and one of their few weeks that they get to actually just program what they want rather than a, a home company or a, a buy, you know, a commercial buy-in. So, the, you know, Jerry and his team has, has have bought a, a, you know, a big production and brought it and taken the risk on it and that's a fantastic thing because uh, it's not a commercial piece. You could sell a lot more tickets doing something 
you know, a lot cheesier and more mainstream. Um, and I think there's a huge range. Part of our job is in, in Circa is to uncover the range of the art form. And sometimes we're going to piss people off because we're just not the thing that they you know that they expect um but you know i just came out of a meeting five minutes ago about positioning and and fundraising and stuff and really what it boils down to is that we you know most of our experiences now people of my generation and younger than me uh there are a few of those um going to these big citadels of culture is boredom and at circus there is there's one imperative which is thou shalt not bore and if we can bring people into public civic spaces like art centers and give them experiences that are meaningful and not boring then we are a force for good well, you're certainly a force of good in my books, and also, <laughs> and also uh, uh, last night uh, a force for for movement and emotion. Because I found when I saw the show in Brisbane uh, last year, I cried several times throughout. Uh, I cried again last night, but at different points Amazing. in the show as well. Because, and perhaps that reflects the way that it's the show has evolved and been restructured and remade a little bit since its uh, since its original season. But I was also delighted that the friend who I took to see it, who has been a little bit underwhelmed by some of the circus I've taken to, he also loved it as yeah. well. Well, so um, what I find also fascinating about the work is that I, I was talking just earlier in the program to someone about how art can humanise um, an environmental crisis. We we tune out to messages about global warming in the news now because we, we've heard so many of them, but art can cut through. Yeah. And perhaps a show like Il Ritorno can cut through some of the cynicism that's built up in people around the refugee crisis as well. Because it's not overtly about refugees, but it is overtly about longing and loss and a yearning for connection uh, and to, to reconnect with with a place as well as with people. That's right. I mean, I think that the 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 concept that the twentieth or twentieth or so largest country in the world by population are people displaced people at the moment is an astonishing kind of fact. There's just a lot of people who can't be at that place that we take for granted, most of us take for granted, called home. And if you can't empathise with and if you can't understand on an imaginative level what you're trying to grapple with, what the the, the issues are, then they're just politics and fear and those are never very successful things by themselves. And our inability to grapple with the environment, to grapple with refugees, to grapple with any of the kind of social and political issues of the day is really an imaginative one if we can imagine a solution if we can then we can probably make it we're pretty amazing as a species that way but the real challenge you know the real challenge for us is that if we don't have empathy if we don't open our hearts there's no reason to activate our imagination like you don't try and solve a problem that doesn't need a solution you try and solve and and that is i think an emotional experience um and for me that's absolutely what art does it places us directly in that emotional landscape. The production uh, by Circa Il Ritorno is on now at Art Centre Melbourne until this weekend. It finishes on uh, Saturday, the 20th of August, so it's a short season. It opened last night. Um, I absolutely urge you to to book and get along to see the show. I think it's a beautiful piece of work. Uh, you can book at www.artcentremelbourne.com.au uh, or you can call 1300 182 183. Uh, so uh, Circa's Il Ritorno, as I said, until Saturday, do go. We've been talking to the Artistic Director of Circa, Euron Lifshitz. Euron, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. 
This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.